to see Ellie Holcomb at a women's conference. And this is how silly I am. I listen to Christian music all the time, but I didn't really know her name or know who she was. And she's singing, and I don't have a perfect ear. Like some people can watch American Idol and be like, oh, this guy's going to win in two seconds. My husband can do that. The first note, he's like, they're bad. They're good. They're bad. And then sure enough, like 10 minutes later, Simon Cowell's like, you're awful. And I'm like, how did you know? They sounded fine to me. Um, but so Ellie Holcomb, I could tell. I'm like, she's good. She's good to be like traveling around at a women's conference. And then later I Google her songs, and she's like super famous and amazing. Um, but isn't that perfect for tonight? I love that song. Thank you. Um, ladies for making sure we have it. So tonight's Bible study is three pages long, um, and there's a lot of fill-ins, but don't stress because I want to go home to my house as much as you want to go home to your house. <laughs> so I will honor your time, and I will honor your families and your priorities. Um, I'm going to spend longer on the first two pages, and we're going to whip through page three. So don't stress out <laughs> like this woman's not going to land the plane. I'm going to land it. We're going to be okay. <laughs> My name's Stephanie Chen. Um, I'm a substitute teacher for Rosemary. This is Rosemary's lesson, Rosemary's message for you and I. And actually, it's God's message from Rosemary, but um, I hope I can do it justice. There's a lot, a lot, a lot to learn. And I'm loving this study on heaven. I'm loving, for a while, I was like, what are we doing in the Old Testament with the patriarchs? Like, what's going on? And I'm starting to see now the beautiful foreshadowing that, that God's doing with all of his people and all these classic, beautiful old stories and how we really should live here on earth. And everything that he taught the Israelites, he wants to teach us too. And so he's just showing us, you know, look, I've got a promised land for you, right? And that's what we're learning in this study. Look, I've got a promised land for you. And look, it's going to be better. It's going to be better. And sometimes I think we get so connected and attached down here. And sometimes when I was young, I used to think heaven might be boring, right? So like a lot of praise music. I could do like four songs. Then what are we going to do? And now I know that heaven's going to be heaven because Jesus is there right? And that's it. That's it. If he made this earth, and I love it that much, and it's broken, and it's got cancer, it's got stuff that's so hard and suffering, just imagine, he says, that will be gone, and I'll be with you. So even if heaven's just as bad as earth, we're sold. We love this place, right? Just get rid of a few problems, a few kinks. We're sold. We're there. And so how wonderful that heaven will just be a thousand times better and never, never boring. So I was a fool to think that. Um, anyway, um, I've just loved these patriarchs. I've loved this study. I've felt kindred spirits when we studied Joseph. I felt sometimes like him um, in that sometimes it feels like I've been lied upon or, you know, I lost a job and it wasn't my fault. Um, I've felt betrayed by my siblings before, nowhere near what he went through, but I felt the hurt of kind of family feuding sometimes, even in great families that happens. I've related to um, Moses and how he wrestled with God last week with the six excuses, right? Like, how about this? And how about that? And not here and not there and not in a car, not on a train, not in a boat and not on a plane. And I felt like that before. <laughs> I have four little kids, so <laughs> Seuss is going to be frequently quoted. Um, no, but, um, but no, but I felt like that. And even not even six. I could do six just for teaching tonight. I do six all the time. You know, so actually Moses is a study only came up with six, right? Because we, we go to, I go to God all the time. Now, what about this? I don't think I was made to be a mom. I'm totally not organized enough for four kids. And God's like, Lord, again, the same request. <laughs> um, and so I've, I've, I've definitely related to that one. And sometimes I feel um, uh, like, like Pharaoh might resonate. Because we know and we love people whose hearts are just so hard. And God keeps showing up and he keeps delivering and he keeps showing. And hey, how about this? Okay, well now how about this? 
Okay, now how about this? And you just want one time for the message to sink through. You beg God for that message to sink through. And I've, I've, I've related to, to Pharaoh and a hard heart. And you're just like, please, please know that God is doing this so that you'll wake up. You know, those, those kind sufferings we learned last week. I love what Rosemary said. The plagues, the nine plagues before the firstborn were merciful. They were merciful. Like, please, look, this is what I can do. So I'm so powerful. You are not God, and I am God, and you are not. So let my people go. And he predicted in Exodus 4, it's going to take his firstborn. He's not going to get there until I do it, but let's try. And then he tried, and he tried, and he tried, and he tried, and kept getting closer and closer and closer and closer until finally he had to do what he knew he would have to do. But those plagues were a chance. I really think they were a chance. I think they're benevolent suffering. But let's dive on in. So letter A on our outline. See, told you you're going to get worried. <laughs> God's strong hand. God's strong hand. Tonight we're talking all about God's strong hand. Here's what's so cool. God has plans for Pharaoh. You think somebody's outside God's reach or somebody, um, you know, God can't reach them there? Oh, yes, he can. God's got plans for Pharaoh. And he continues, Pharaoh continues to stubbornly refuse God. But God is ready to carry out what he predicted in Exodus 4. We learned from the beginning, he said, I'm going to have to take the first day that Moses shows up. Moses says, I'm the Lord, I'm the God, you know, of Israel, and I will have to take your firstborn. He says that day one. And Pharaoh's like, I will not let your people go. I've never heard of your God. Then we go through all this stuff, and you think, like, when all the cattle die from half the land and all the cattle don't die on the other half of the land, you think you kind of, hmm, can't be a disease because that cow's still alive. You know, that, my cow's dead. But no, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't pick up. And so God has a plan for Pharaoh. But unfortunately, it will take the, the ultimate thing. It'll take the firstborn. Exodus 11.1 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. And afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt. And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of a slave girl, behind a handmill. All the firstborn cattle, too. There shall be a great cry throughout the land, such has never been, nor ever a will be again. Not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast. You will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down, saying, Get out, you Go and let your people follow you too. So we see Pharaoh, and he's each plague, he's saying you can go, then he changes his mind an hour later, two hours later. Okay, you can go, and then, or how about just the men? Or how about the men and women, but we'll keep your animals and your stuff, right? And so he's, he's negotiating, he's getting there, right? But God promises Moses to know he's going to let you go, and you're going to go with all of your stuff too. And so we see that, and we love to see that. And so, oops, God's plan for Israel. So letter B is God's plan for Israel. So this plan includes all of um, all the people who believed in God and acted in faith. And this plan is saving the firstborns, and the Passover is exactly what um, God plans to do. And there's a picture that we see in Passover, obviously, that will be fulfilled in Jesus. And I've, I've noticed and seen somewhere that masters of poetry, masters of comedy, masters of um, the theater, they're able to start with something a point or a, a picture, and then tie it up beautifully at the end, right? They kind of start with a premise and they tie it up beautifully in the end. And what's crazy is God's able to do that 
through us, through thousands of years, through different authors, and through history into this one miraculous book. He's a master author and a master um, uh, God, you know, but we're going to see him all throughout Passover fulfill it in Jesus. And you saw a little bit of that in your homework. So now we see what is God teaching. And you're probably thinking, there's something new behind Stephanie. And there is something new behind me. I brought these things because I loved the chart on page 222 in your books. And if you haven't looked at it yet, please look at it now because it's really, really, really amazing. These 11 things on the left are all from Exodus 12. And so when it says verse 3, that means it's Exodus 12, 3. So I wrote at the top really big Exodus 12. That way you can track with me. And then the redemption piece on the right-hand side on page 223 is all through the Gospels. And I'll be honest, number 9 bothered me. Does anybody know why number 9 bothered me? Because there's a blank there, and evidently I'm just type A enough for that to bother me. So all week I studied for you, and if it's okay, I'd like you to fill in Luke 18, 18 through 20, and Luke 13, 3, just so we have some closure. Um, but I'm going to take you through all, all these parallels left and right, and you're going to see how crazy and how awesome our God is. And I was blown away. Oh, tell them again, one more time. Luke 18, 18 through 20, and Luke 13, 3. And the spirit of contrition is, uh, when you Google it, it kind of it, it comes up a lot in Catholic, like a spirit of contrition, a contrite spirit. Um, it's a Catholic website that pop up. If you want to Google, check me later, right? But... Uh, it's not Catholic at all. It's actually all through the Old and New Testament. Um, Ezekiel has a, spirit, a contrite heart, a contrite spirit, a humble heart. It just means broken. You're broken over your sin. You're broken over the brokenness of the world. You're just, you're just sad because God's sad. You're weeping. When Jesus saw Jerusalem, he wept. We talk about Lazarus because we understand that one. But we don't talk as much about when Jesus saw Jerusalem, he wept. And so we got to be like that too. We got to be sad and angry about what God gets sad and angry about. So that's all that contrition is, is number nine. Okay, so what is God teaching us through the Passover? So I have these two things here, and I have a sweet handyman at work who he knows anytime I walk near him, it's going to be problems. <laughs> but um, this is a doorpost, if you can see it, right? And then this is a cross. And what I'm trying to do here, and, and hopefully it, it, it resonates with you, is draw the parallels between Passover and 1,500 years, so 1,500 years of tradition of Passover until Jesus comes. And so I just, want, I just want us to look at those two, two things all throughout with the chart and, and hopefully get it through in a way that makes sense to you. So letter A, what is he teaching through the Passover? He's teaching something through the blood on the doorpost. The blood on the doorpost. And we can see this beautiful image here. And so there was a lot of rules of what Israel had to do in order to be saved by the blood. But the first thing was, and you see it number five on your chart, and I, you can write it in your notes, number five on your chart says Exodus 12, verse 7 and 8. The blood must be shed and applied to the doorpost from, with a bunch of hyssop. It's not enough that Christ died on the, um, it's not enough that they killed the lamb, but it must be public. So that's number six on the chart. So see if you see it's not sufficient that the blood is shed, but you must apply it to your doorpost. Then number six on your chart, blood must be seen from the outside. And there's only safety behind this door. Okay? So that's from that chart. And so 
the, Israel, the people of Israel had to kill the lamb in a certain way, and they had to apply it so it was very public. Their faith was very public. Number one, they trusted in the blood. They were trusting in the blood. So letter A, blood's on the doorpost. Number one, they're trusting in that blood to save them. They hear that firstborns are going to die all throughout the land. Think how chaotic it would be if you've had like days and days of darkness and the sun's like not shining for days. That would freak me out. And then you've got cattle, you've got frogs, you've got boils on the skin. So a lot of stuff is happening. It kind of probably seems end of world-esque, right? And, and then you probably hear about this. Remember, there's no internet or Twitter. So you probably hear about this from your neighbor or your neighbor's neighbor or your friend. Hey, you got to put the blood. Here's how it's got to be. And imagine two to three million people did this, right? So there was a lot of trust that this would work and that this would, would be the only way that they would save their children, their firstborn. So what Israel did is letter A. They had to rely on deliverance only through God's plan. And then how about us, letter B. Now, sometimes I get scrambled when there's a lot of fill-ins. So this, what Israel did and how about us, is going to be a pattern the whole night. So you're going to see there's a lot of little blanks almost every time. It's how about us, right after we learn about something, okay? So keep me honest with that. It's good I've got Miss Medley up here in the front. She'll help me. <laughs> Becky, I mean, to you. I knew Miss Medley since I was, what, like three, five? I spent the night at her house, one hurricane evacuation time, because they lived west enough. Um, but anyway, I love Becky. Okay, so what Israel did. Only the blood on the doorpost mattered, and if they had it, they were saved. Now, what if one of them said, this is weird, lamb on our door, blood, what if this ruins the paint? I can't rent it out later when we move. Um, it's not a good idea, right? Uh, they've never done it before. It's not like history of doing it. So it's just as strange to us, them as it almost is to us. What if they said it'd be more merciful and kind if we just went vegan tonight, right? We're just vegetarian. No lamb. We'll just do the herbs, God. Thank you, but no thank you. And part of me is being a little bit silly, but part of me is being a thousand percent how I negotiate with God all the time. Lord, here's how I'm going to witness to her. I'm just going to bring her the dinner. I'm not going to mention your name. And she's going to know by my actions that I love you. And I negotiate that with God. And God loves that. Don't get me wrong, God loves you bring a dinner to your friend that doesn't know him. But he doesn't like when we negotiate and think our plans are better or our ways are better. And I think a lot of times I myself put that little like, you know, I've got this, Lord. And I think he says, no thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> and so we've got to just trust him. And sometimes the things are weird. Sometimes it's like, call that person out of the blue you haven't talked to in seven months. Oh, she's going to think it's so weird. It's not even her birthday. We don't talk that often. We're only Instagram friends. No, call that person when he puts her on your heart. Because that's from him. That's from him. And he doesn't want your ways. Your ways are not better. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So he wants his way. How about us? That is, that is exactly it. How about us? We sometimes negotiate and we go back and forth with him. Letter number three on your outline. Seeing the blood. Oops, number two. Only one way for deliverance. Only one way for deliverance, not Stephanie's way, God's way. Thank you, Pammy. What Israel did, they had to sacrifice the lamb, put it on their doorpost. And you see five through eight on your chart for that part. And then what we do, how about us? We have to make sure we trust. Now, seeing the blood. 
seeing the blood. It has to be public. It has to be public. Just like in Matthew, the Bible says, if you confess and acknowledge me before men, then I will confess and acknowledge you before the Father. Right? So the blood has to be public. It has, everyone has to know you're an Israelite, that you sacrifice animals, and that you love God. Remember, that was the whole thing. Moses kept going, let us serve God. Let us sacrifice our animals. Let us follow God how we want to follow. And Pharaoh kept saying, no, or I'll let you do like a field trip to sacrifice, but then come back and work for me. And so this is what makes them different. As Israelites, this is what makes them different. This is what sets them apart. Can you, um, Pammy, can you put up a couple for me? Yes, perfect. Okay, so what Israel did is they had to make the blood public on their doorpost. What we have to do is confess Jesus before our friends and our neighbors. Otherwise, he, and then he can confess us and acknowledge us in front of heaven. Make sense? Are you guys there? I'm sorry. It's, it's a hard outline. <laughs> okay, so um, we have to acknowledge and be public about our faith in Jesus, just like the Israelites had to be public about their faith in God. And that can be our only plan. Okay, next. What were the activities of the Passover? So this is my favorite uh, little thing, and I listened to Andy Stanley on the Passover and learned about just kind of that 1,500 years and a couple of these things. But what Israel did was they knew that God's plan made them safe. They were being obedient. Their obedience had to be public, and everyone on earth and all the Egyptians had to know they were on God's side. We can feel safe and secure for eternity when we are behind Jesus' blood knowing that our safety is not dependent on anyone or anything other than Jesus. Next, they had to be prepared. Now, the Bible says that they had to sleep with their loins girded. They had to sleep with their sandals on. They had to get leaven out of their lives, and they had to be ready to go. And I love this obedient and prepared because for, for us, I think that's all God asks. I think he wants us to be obedient, and I think he wants us to be prepared. And the prepared part is so important because what I've noticed is if we're not prepared, we truly can't help others. If you're running late and barely can get your junk in the car yourself, you certainly can't help someone else. The only way that you can help others if you truly are prepared. If you're organized and you have your things set aside, then sure, I can come along and help you do that. Or here, I don't have anything in my hands. I'm prepared. I can help you carry that. So God wants us to be obedient to his law and to his word, and he wants us to be prepared. And I love that the, the Israelites had that, that picture as well. How about us? Same requirement. He wants us to be obedient and prepared. We are to be alert. We are to not loll off to sleep. We're not to get so comfortable in this world that we're not ready. God wants us to keep that pilgrim mentality that the Israelites had. That's the foreshadowing. The foreshadowing of all these patriarchs is a story of us. He doesn't want us to get so comfortable in this world that we don't want to move. Let us stay slaves in Egypt. Remember that verse? That's what we're saying sometimes when we, when, when we tell God our plans. Let me stay a slave. And he's like, no, I have such higher ways for you. Just trust me. Okay, so how about us? Is there leaven in our lives? Well, you can say there, sorry. Is there leaven in our lives? Leaven all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament is a picture of sin. Um, a lot of sermons are available online, really, really cool ones about how leaven is something that can change the entire um, ball of dough, the entire recipe when added. 
And if you're a baker or you make bread, you, you know that about yeast. Um, we're going to talk in a second about how their yeast is different than our yeast. But leaven is something that can change the entire recipe with just a little amount. So is there leaven in our lives? Leaven is sin, but it's also something having to do with time and kind of a, a connectivity to a long period of time. Because if you ever made bread, you know, you have to like let it rise for a couple of hours and then you have to come back to it. And so leaven is something that's also kind of a con connected to too much time and, and being weighted down by the world. world. The next thing is, do we have a pilgrim mentality? Um, Rosemary had a really cute analogy in here, and, and I have a similar one, is when you know you have to move, and she helped Tori move over to New Mexico, and I, I think in seven years moved five times when my husband and I were first married, so it was like crazy. But I'll tell you, you are so, so, so organized when you have to move that often. The things you save become bare minimum, because you know, do I want to pack this up, put in a box, bubble wrap it, unwrap it, and then put it in the next house. And immediately it becomes like, nope, about a lot of stuff, right? So you had like this pilgrim mentality. During my husband's training, we were pilgrims. And so we just moved, 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 moved. And uh, we were very decisive about what we wanted to save and what we didn't want to save. The same is true if you know you have an early flight. Like you've ever had like a flight where you have to leave at like 4 a.m.? It's like you sleep and the shoes are out with the sock like in the shoe. So like I don't even have to think. Like the sock is there. You know, and my little kids, I'm like, just sleep in your clothes, you know, just, or you can fly in your pajamas, two choices, you know? And so it's like you have that mentality of a certain departure mindset and a certain departure changes how you think, how you pack, how you sleep. And we have to have that mentality. I think I frequently get all too comfortable here, all too tied down and even all too distracted because I don't have that departure mindset. And if you ever missed a flight because you were distracted in a cool airport, you'll know exactly what that is, is God has so many cool things for us, but we can't be distracted or encumbered in our lifestyle that we are immobile for God. And I'll say that again because I think it's really cool. If we are too encumbered by our lifestyle, we become immobile for God. Next is the feast. The feast. And so the feast is now going to create a holiday for them. So this one Passover that story that we're reading about right now creates an annual holiday that's always celebrated in the month of Nisan, which is basically perfectly timed for right now, perfectly timed for Easter. And I have a couple Jewish friends, and they all say Passover is their favorite. They love Passover. It's a memory of God's blessings. And so let's think about this just for one second. There's a feast that's been celebrated for 1,400 years that remembers the doorpost, eats the lamb, has the unleavened bread, has the wine. And Jesus rides into town 1,480 years later, give or take, and says, hey, let's celebrate Passover. Would be very similar to Andy Stanley, let's just say him. He's fun and he's far enough away that it's not, you know. He says, hey, let's celebrate Christmas together, let's just say. We're okay, cool, come to our church, do the whole thing. And he comes, and instead of talking about Advent, instead of lighting four candles, instead of talking about Jesus and Nativity, he says, you know what, guys, we're going to do a new thing. It's called the Andy Holiday. That's what happened when Jesus changed Passover for the 12th. And I don't think their heads were fully grasping what he was about to do or what he was saying. But when we read in the Gospel and these verses in the chart, this is my blood offered for you. 
This is my life. Take it and eat it that you might have life. This is my body broken for you. They're like, no, no, no. That's the unleavened bread that they took because they were pilgrims. And he's like, no, no more. No more pilgrimage. No more talking about that. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood. Take and drink. And so Jesus is rocking their world. He's undoing. We've been celebrating Christmas for 2,000 plus years. They've been celebrating Passover for 1,400, 1,500 years. So it's that type of holiday. And Jesus is sitting down and he's saying, here's the paradigm shift. We are going from lamb to lamb. I don't think, I don't think I would have gotten it. I'm going to be honest. In the room, I would have been like, what is this guy talking about? And I don't think they got it for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, but he was saying, stop, no more. This was cool, but it was only, only, only a foreshadowing to this. And why the chart blows my mind, and I hope it blows your mind, is because every detail was covered. There was nothing that happened to the Israelites in, in Egypt that doesn't happen right here. With different authors, different decades, different political parties. Everything, everything, everything is different. And yet everything, everything, everything is fulfilled. And not one detail is forgotten. So let's keep going. But man, I hope you just jump into this chart and read every verse here because wow. As Rosemary likes to say, wow. You can't make this up. You can't make it up. You can't fake it. This is how you know there's no human author. There's not, no, not possible. It's just not possible. And it's so, so, so cool. Let her see the feast. Number one is the time. The time is twilight. Literally, Jesus gives his, his life up around 3 o'clock. The time is right. Number two, the lamb. Going back to that chart, you see number one and two under the lamb. It talks about Christ was the perfect lamb without blemish or without sin. Do you know who says those words? Not someone who didn't know him. Someone who literally lived with him for three years, Peter. Peter says Christ was the perfect lamb without blemish. He saw him tired. He saw him cold. He saw him hungry. He saw him without a bed. He saw him beat down. He saw him mocked. He saw him murdered. He was perfect. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So that's Christ was perfect. That's the lamb without blemish in prime existence, and shed for the life of the household. Number three, the branch of hyssop. I went to a Lisa Turker's concert, same place where Ellie Holcomb was. Uh, a couple of you were there, and it was so, so awesome. And she talked about hyssop. And I'm going to try, try, try to do it justice, but this is what's crazy. My whole life, for whatever reason, um, that Psalms 51 verse has just been in, like written on my heart. Psalms 51.7. It says, Wash me or cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Psalms 51.7. My whole life that's been there. I don't know why. I don't know a hymn that connected it. I don't think my mom ever repeated a lot. I don't, I don't know why, but it's always been on my heart. I don't even know. I don't know what hyssop is and I'm a Florida girl. So I, technically I don't even really know what snow is. So why is that verse written on my heart? I don't know. So in January I'm sitting, I'm listening to Lisa Turkers. She's phenomenal. And she's talking about the Bible. And she says there's a scarlet thread all throughout the Bible that connects God, Old Testament God, to Jesus, New Testament God in man form. And she says, and it's hyssop. And I don't even remember what she's talking about or what she's saying. She says, look how cool this is. And she says exactly what this chart's showing you. She says, 
when it was Passover time, they were to take an herb called hyssop, and actually when you Google it, it looks like a mix of la lavender and rosemary, like if they married and had an herb baby. So <laughs> it looks like this, and they were to use that to brush the blood all on the doorpost, right? Okay, so it seems like minutia, no detail, whatever. But evidently hyssop was so cool that David, when he feels awful and has a spirit of contrition, is crying and praying. He says, wash me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me with hyssop and I'll be whiter than snow. So evidently, it was medicinal in that way, like a soap. You know, we have rosemary soap. Hyssop just is out of style. But anyway, when Jesus is dying on the cross, how cool is this? They're looking for something to give him sour wine, kind of as a pain medication. And what can reach up that high? Hmm. We'll grab hyssop. We'll take hyssop. We'll put it in the wine and the sponge, and we'll put it up on the Lamb of God. How? That blew my mind. And to you, it might be like, eh. To me, it was like, what? what? How does God care? How does he know? Let's pick the exact same herb. That's how detailed I'm going to be. That's how masterful I'm going to be. No stone is unturned or unfinished with God. He is the author and the perfecter of everything. He's so cool. He's so cool. He's so cool. And he loves us so much to worry about the details of our life. That's what Hishab shows me. Hishab shows me that there's nothing he doesn't care about. There's nothing he hasn't thought of. There's nothing that you can screw up that he can't fix. He's that awesome of a father. I hope that does something for you. But if it doesn't, it did nothing for my sister. Later, she was sitting right next to me. And later, I was like, how cool? And she was like, I don't barely remember that part. <laughs> so it's okay. You know, she got something else about the birds, so it was good. Okay, number five. <laughs> the, okay, so the lamb was eaten a particular way. The lamb had to be cooked, and no bones could be broken. Right? And Jesus, we know, most crucifixions of the criminal ended in a breaking of the legs. But Jesus, no bones were broken. Number five, the bitter herbs. Now this was, the bitter herbs were eaten so that you could remember the bitterness and the tears and the suffering. And we know that, um, the, that Jesus had this bitter cup. And he prayed in Gethsemane, Lord, if this cup could be taken from me, would you take it? Because the weight of the world and the weight of sin was so heavy for him. That's in Luke 22:42. Next is the bread. The bread is made without yeast. And Jesus says, having no sin, I am the bread of life. And take this bread, this unleavened bread, this bread without sin, right? Because sin's the image of, and break it. My body's broken for you. Luke 22:19. So Jesus is the bread of life, and his bread is without leaven or sin. I read um, something by Ron Stone, and I have to be honest, I don't know who he is. So if that's horrible, I'm sorry. But he had something on the internet very cool about leaven. And it said that there's a bit of difference between modern yeast and leaven that was used in biblical days. The yeast, which we use today, carries a single cell fungus, and it's marketed in a little sanitary dry powder, right? I've seen those little yellow packs. My mom's a good baker. But when added to bread, the dough will grow and produce gases that cause the bread to rise and become light and fluffy when it's baked. Yeast in the Bible was very, very different and rare because it obviously wasn't in a sanitary packet. The, the leaven consisted of keeping back a little portion of every week's bread and allowing it to ferment and basically go bad 
turn acid and sour in some type of space in their cooking kitchen area. Then next week, you'd add it to the dough, and that small piece would give it the fermentation it needed to make the dough rise. And then you'd keep a piece and do it again. Now, they have no refrigerator. They have no Tupperware. And personally, if you've ever like, forgotten about something in your car just one night, <laughs> right? That's the smell of this stuff. And what's really crazy is, God is just so cool, because every year, he makes them throw out the leaven. Because think after a year of dirt floors, locust plagues, bugs, gnats, no hand washing, I'd imagine, or much less than we do today, definitely no hand sanitizer, how gross and funky this thing is. It's like a year of funk growing in that, right? But every year, he makes them throw it out and start all over again. And so this guy, who I've never heard of, says it's also a health thing. So God is just so cool. He's, he's figuring out how to solve their health care. So if it's broken here in the United States, don't worry. God's got a plan. He's, he's got a plan. Um, but God even thinks about the leaven and the bread. Okay, so the purpose, number seven. The purpose is to commemorate and pass on to their children the faithfulness of God. Just like we celebrate holidays, it's to commemorate and remember the faithfulness of God. And if that's not the purpose of your holidays and home, of your Christmas and of your Easter, I would challenge you to change your traditions. Slowly, slowly, we've been changing our traditions to make sure that the purpose of our holidays is to remember the faithfulness of God, to commemorate all that he's done. Okay, letter three, the journey begins. I see, I see the time. We're going to be okay. All right, here we go. A, the progression of deliverance. Not just one isolated event. God has been working all the time. If you think about it, God had this whole plan even when Moses is thrown into the river, right? God had this whole plan even when Joseph brought his whole family of 70 to Egypt. So the progression of deliverance is a long one, but God's got it all worked out. Number one for Israel. We see this through a list of P's. Rosemary gives us a lot of P's. I'll read them slow if you want to write them all down, but you don't have to. He has preservation through the bondage. He preserved the people from 70 to 2 or 3 million and lets them multiply. Preparation and presentation of a leader. He saved Moses from the time of slaughter and prepared him in the desert, prepared him through his, his struggle and his time at the burning bush and presents him as a leader. Then he promotes hope and a spirit of hope through all of his promises. Then he gives protection despite severe plagues. In each one of the plagues, you see God kind of protecting the Israelites, protecting the Israelites, and helping the Israelites. Doesn't mean they don't live in the midst of plagues, but he's there the whole time. We see his power over the obstacle of the Red Sea, his victory over Pharaoh, that tricky P, PH, and his provision in the strange and hostile wilderness. Preservation through bondage, preparation and presentation of a leader, promotion of hope, promises, protection, power over the obstacle, and provision in the strange wilderness. Okay, and then for us, what peas has God done for you? <laughs> um, hasn't he done the same? There's a quote that I have, and it's tacked on my bulletin board in my office, and it says, I wish I could know the name, but I'm just going to tell you it's not mine. It's somebody awesome. God has not led me with water or fire. He has not fed me with mystery bread from heaven but he has done great things for me. 
and I think you should staple that to your forehead or your clothes or your, or your car dash, because the truth is God has not led us today with water or fire. He's not fed us with mystery bread from heaven, but he's done great things for each of us. And my challenge to you tonight when you can get alone and quiet or maybe tomorrow morning when you're fresh, write down what God has done for you on the same backside of that card. And I'll tell you mine. He's answered my prayers every day with my husband, Chris, James, John, Natalie, and Becca. If he only does that for me the rest of my life, I should never shut up just thanking him. Just thanking him, thanking him, thanking him. But I don't. I mess up all the time and I frequently complain. But that's my challenge is he's fed me. He's not fed me with mystery bed from heaven, but man, he's done great things for me. He's done great things for me. And I pray that you could have that and take that away as your own. Be the predetermined release. Like we said, Exodus 4, 22, God predicts it. God, you're going to make me take your firstborn. You're going to make me require the firstborn death. And sure enough, here in, in Exodus 12, eight chapters later, Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all of his servants and the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Just stop and think about that. We've never had that. Not a house where one person wasn't dead. All in the same night. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by the night, and he said, Up! Go out from among my people, both of you, and the people of Israel, all of you, go. Serve the Lord, as you have said. Take your flocks, take your herds, as you have said. Be gone, and bless me also. He knows God is God now. He knows God is God. And it stinks that it took ten plagues to get him there. But bless me. Go serve the Lord like you say, and bless me. Wow. So the journey begins. Let her see the exodus. Let's stop and think about what this entailed. The magnitude. All of Dade County, two to three, point million, two to three million people are all leaving at the exact same time. Think Hurricane Irma, right? They closed the highway going south. You can only go north, both all lanes, right? The airport literally looked like a zoo, a complete zoo. I flew and people had like parrots, and like, like, it seemed like goats. Like, I, one was not a dog. Like, and they're flying. They're taking everything, everything, everything. And this is with, like, news, like, telling people how to get out. This is in a time when there's no news. This happened in the middle of the night, and now they're out. So the magnitude. Think of the challenges. Think of the challenges. Me to go on a vacation with six kids, by the end, I'm dead. I mean, six kids. Ha <laughs> I have four kids. <laughs> <laughs> The six of us to travel is really, really rough, really tough. Raise your hand if you've never lost a child. Don't even raise it. Because I've lost a child. It's only like five minutes, but it happened in Legoland, and the girl will not let me forget. <laughs> so the challenges, the challenges, right? Okay, next. Oh, I know it, I know it. Then the Lord. Remember when you lost me in Legoland? For three minutes. Yes, Natalie, I remember. Okay. <laughs> letter A, letter A. For Israel. His plan was for them to travel to the promised land, the land that he had prepared for them. So we will see him supernaturally provide and protect them. This is such a fun part of the story because we get to see God's crazy and incredible provision for his people. What about for us? So often in the study, we've learned that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Will the God who opened and parted the Red Sea not intervene for us as well? He's the same God who protected his people in the desert. Will he not protect you in your own wilderness journey? Write your manna, whatever your manna is, on your card. Please, we even have index cards here. You can do it if you want to do it. One of my mannas that I'll just tell you really quickly is when my second son, John Charles, 
was born, they told me when, in Sonogram that stuff looked weird on his brain. And stuff looked weird on his brain. And um, I don't even go to anything political, but right? You could. You could think about stuff political that a different mama would have done. Then he's born. They do the sonogram of his head again. They're like, not right. Not right. So I have a three-day-old, four-day-old baby. As soon as I get released from the hospital, I go home, and I'm on my floor in the bathroom flat out, begging God, I'll never ask a thing of you again if you just heal that baby. You just make his brain okay. I'll never pray a thing again. Some of you, you have babies that maybe that didn't happen for you, and I don't know why God did it for me. But we went to a neurologist at the University of Miami. Every baby in the waiting room was so, so sad and so sick. And you're waiting there with your newborn, and you're like, please, God, not for me. What's going on for them? And John was fine. John was fine. The neurologist looked at all the scans. He's like, he's fine. I'm like, don't you want to do tests, another test? Don't you want to? He's fine. I don't know what they saw. I don't see it. That's God. You can think whatever you want. That's God. And what's so, so cool is I have to write that on a card because I'm so, so forgetful that I forget it all the time. I forget it when I'm in traffic. I forget it when I'm late. I forget it when my husband's mean. I think that God won't show up. God won't do it again. God doesn't deliver. So write your manna on your card, whatever it is, so that you don't become like an Israelite and two seconds later be like, why God? Why God? Why God? Okay. The Red Sea, it takes us on a circuitous route. Now listen, I went to school and I had to Google circuitous. <laughs> That's a big word. It's a $5 word. Okay, circuitous means not the natural or direct route, like intentionally circular. And actually sometimes people do it in their speech. They're like intentionally circuitous. So next time someone's not being straight with you, you just say that. And show off. <laughs> okay, number one, the circuitous route was for pre preparation. So here's what's so cool. You can put up number two, too, because I know people are stressing. It's also for education. So what's really, really awesome is if God had taken these people who have lived for 400 plus years in Egypt straight to the promised land, it would have, been, it would have ended there. Like maybe even the Bible would have ended there, like boom, done. They didn't know how to govern themselves. They don't know how to have a court system. They don't know how to have laws. They don't know how to have taxes. They don't know how to have security. Zero of them are trained to go to battle, right? They only know how to be governed. They only know how to be ruled. They're probably not educated. Usually when people are oppressed, the oppressor doesn't give them an education, right? So just think about these people. If they go straight there, it's bad news bears. So God keeps them in this circuitous route. First of all, because they're sin, but second of all, to get them ready, to get them ready to be their own people again, to get them ready. And we think about it, there's so many people in the Bible who God did that same route for them. Joseph's one of them. Imagine if he went straight, super proud and immature to Pharaoh. That wouldn't have worked. What about Moses? Moses, in his own way, murders one guy and thinks that's going to do it. Here's how I'll save the people. That's the worst plan ever. So God takes him to the desert, circuitous route, gets him prepared, educates him. Right? So that's what that's for, preparation and education. How about us? We are his chosen people. We sometimes need a wilderness. We sometimes need seasons of plagues. We sometimes need God to change our mind. There's a fairy tale in the prodigal prophet that Tim Keller quotes. And 
I would read it to you, but you know we're stinky on time, so I'm just going to paraphrase. It's not one we've ever heard. There's a witch, and an evil witch, and she could turn everyone who slept one night in her house into a uh, stone statue. And she loved this, and she had a garden full of stone statues of all visitors. And she lived in the woods where there was no other place to rest. So she'd get a lot of travelers who would come and say, can we have a night's rest? And she would say yes. They'd come in, they'd sleep, and then she'd have a stone statue. And this went on and on. And um, she had a servant girl that worked for her. And the servant girl had pity and saw what was happening to all these travelers, and she didn't want it to continue to happen. So in her own little way, instead of cleaning the bed, she would hide in her skirt and her pockets rocks and thorns and sticks, all in the bed, the guest bed. And she'd hide glass, and she'd hide different things so that they wouldn't sleep. And she thought if they wouldn't sleep that she could save them from becoming a pillar of statue of stone. So one traveler came, and sure enough, it, her plan worked, and he couldn't sleep through the night. And he tossed and he turned and he was miserable. And as he left, he said, peasant, how is this bed in such disarray that someone can't even get a good night's rest? You should be fired or thrown into jail or, or in prison for what you've done. And as he left, she said, I know it was a hard night's rest for him, but at least he's not turned into stone. And I think God, and, and I think Tim Keller, was trying to say that sometimes there are, mer there are merciful sufferings in people's lives just so that a worse suffering won't occur. And we are not to pick out what's happening to who or to judge in any way. But I know in my own life I've had a bad night's rest because God had me praying all night for somebody. And later in heaven we're going to find out exactly what those nights of unrest were for. And those sticks and those thorns and those things are not suffering. It's serving a greater and higher purpose. So I just, I liked that and I hope that makes sense to you. So that's about us. Education preparation. The obstacles that happen. Pharaoh pursues. Number one, the Israel panics. Number two. You okay? Not too fast? Okay, good. All right. Um, now God's mighty miracle. So Pharaoh's drawing near. He changes his mind again. He gets all the chariots. We read in our homework. He gets all the horses, and he comes. And then the people panic, and they're frightened. But Moses says, Exodus 14, 13, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only just have to be silent. God's mighty miracle. How? The Lord parts the sea. Remember in Proverbs 8, 29, God made the sea, and he tells it where to stop. So this shouldn't be hard for us to understand. He made that sea. He tells it where to stop. He gave the sea their boundaries, and he marked out the foundations of the earth. He doesn't do it by a magic wand or by Moses. Why? Number two, he does it to save his people, but of course to show also that he is God and he is Lord. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to normal. And the Egyptians fled into it, and the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. <clears throat> and the waters returned and covered the chariots. What did God accomplish here? Letter A, deliverance for his people. Deliverance for his people. And also letter B, destruction of the enemies. 
destruction. So in one act, he does deliverance and destruction. And you know what I've noticed? God loves to show off with water, right? Like this, and then what does Jesus do? He's asleep, and he's like, wake up. He's like, stop. See, stop. Like water, water and, and God, it's very cool. He shows off with everything, even his up, but I think he likes to show off with water. Letter D, the response of God's people. The response of God's people. There are four words that describe their response. They saw the death of their oppressor and the mighty hand of God. They feared, and our Bible, we read that verse, they had awe and fear. They began to understand who God was and his plan and purpose they had on his life, he had on their life. They trusted, letter three, number three, for the first time they began to put their trust in him and understand who he was. And then they worshiped, number four. They saw, they feared, they trusted, and they worshiped. And they had a spontaneous response of worship, a praise for God and his wondrous work. They notice, unfortunately though, that the praise doesn't last long. And that's why I challenge you to write down your man on your card because we're the same way. It's easy to judge. Charles Stanley says, though, that if our names were to grace the pages of the Bible, I promise it'd be far more scandalous than what they've done here. Right? Because we think when we read it, like, oh, man, these guys, these idiots. And then God's just like, oh, man, <laughs> this idiot. <laughs> um, but may we always remember. I hope that that was good. It's 825. I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, thank you for being our lamb. Thank you that we no longer have blood on our doorposts, but we just have you covering our hearts. You've washed us, Lord. You've washed us with hyssop, and you've made us clean as snow. I thank you for the wisdom in your word. We thank you that every detail is, is beautifully thought out from the Old Testament to the New, and from the beginning of my life to my end. And I just pray that I remember all these things when storms come, when plagues come, when your merciful suffering comes, if it comes, Lord, or even just trials, not of your hand. I pray that I remember these promises. I pray that I would remain faithful to you, and I pray that over each woman in this room. We love you, we love you, and we thank you, we thank you. We thank you for Easter. May we use it to commemorate all that you did on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.